Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Welcome back to Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. This week, I talked to Anthony Amico at the Amigster, at Amigster, not the Amigster, on Twitter from the Fade the Noise Network, recently signed. Um, we talked about a little, a little bit of everything, frankly. Um, we continue this part two um, of my interview with him. Uh, still talking about rookie and rookie evaluation process, and then we get more into projections and certain players that are difficult um, and why they may be difficult projecting them in 2020 season, and some players we particularly like and maybe don't like but compared to consensus. Um, and I'm kind of just letting it ride. I really expected to cut it down a lot since it's a two-part mega interview, um, but listening back to it, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed being part of it, um, really enjoyed listening back to it, and I just kind of want to let it ride and let you guys hear it as it was. Um, not going to pretend I didn't take out about 10 minutes of me going, wait, what, what was I going to say? Damn it, I've forgotten. Uh, just to try and level the playing field so I sound somewhat capable and belonging in a room with someone like Anthony, but um, other than that, it's just the, kind of the full interview. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And if you do or you don't, let me know on Twitter, at PA Howdy, or I guess in a review or something. Um, Really appreciate it, and I will talk to you again next week. Here's part two. Bye. Top high school recruits that actually made it. Like I just think that that's incredibly rare and incredibly special, and I think you can make an argument for tons of guys out of this receiver class to be excellent. The running back group... Again, like there's draft capital. We have one first round player. We have a bunch of second round players. There's youth, you know, a, a bunch of young players. I'm just not sure that we're going to get the top end production outside of like one or two guys because I, I kind of think, don't the, think so. yeah. Well, I just think that the longer that this thing's kind of going on, like running back gets a little crowded, man. You know, like it's not like right. receiver. You know, it's not like receiver where there's we're flexing three or four of these guys out there every play. And we so do like some of these. Back. What occurs to me is that, like, I see the strength at running back, and then I worry, like, this is a little atypical for the NFL because the older guys, or the older guys who are all ten years younger than me, um, like David uh, Johnson, Melvin Gordon, we don't think they're bad suddenly now. These don't seem to be players like arcing off the end of their career, even though that's typical for the NFL career. Or a Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he played fine last year. He was just on the Jets. So, like, I see the strength at running back, but I, I think that's interesting that, um, you know, you're worried it's too crowded. Like, I, I guess the direct question is, do you think J.K. Dobbins supplants Ingram? Do you think Jonathan Taylor supplants Mark Ingram? Um, Mark Ingram, twice. And Marlon Mack? Or do you think they end up in more of a, 
a split than we'd like. I think that they're, these guys are all going to split more than we like. If I'm being wow. honest, like I didn't like just like their existence, like just existing with other players who are good or who are like at least functional. You know, like Marlon Mack isn't Jonathan Taylor, but he's functional. He's had big games. He's had good seasons. So I don't think that he's just going to disappear. Now he's a free agent after this year. That's the case with a bunch of these guys, right? Aaron Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Mack. I think Ingram might be a free agent also. So. Damian Williams is like a threat to just like his legs fall off on the field at any moment. So (laughs) like, I think as time goes on, these players could establish great roles. You know, Swift has to compete with, with carry on Johnson, but I'm just not, I just don't think it's going to happen right away. And usually I'm drafting these running backs with the expectation that it's going to happen right away. So if I'm going to I mean, that's typical. Yeah, so if I'm going to wait, I, I'd rather just take the position I prefer to have in Dynasty anyway, and that's receiver. So, right. like, in the first round, the guys like Akers and Swift and, like, those guys going ahead of these first and second round wide receivers has been odd to me kind of all draft season because it's not the same. It's not the same old situation where you're just drafting a running back and you're like, okay, great, I'm going to get these 250 touches. They're going to produce, and – you know, if not this year, then next year, I'm going to just flip this guy and I'm going to get someone that's good. And I'm going to keep, you know, continuing that process. There's almost like a built-in waiting period. And I don't really want to do that. See, that's the weird thing, though, because I love, I'd like to be thinking that way. But I do believe that running backs break earlier. I do think the team decision plays a lot more role in, at the running back position because there are so few of them on the field, to your point. So, like, they can just put the one guy out there often enough that he's he's the guy that we want whereas wide receiver is a lot more intricate it takes longer to develop in general and you know to the three four year uh i saw that sentence one to to what we were talking about before where wide receivers play three or they play four years and it might be a more recent trend like i do know even though you know i've played ignorance on college football i do know there's a lot going on in there right now and in the nfl as well like um players are able to declare later and switch teams more seems to be the crux of it um and the nfl does seem to be focusing different types of wide receiver right now i do still think that's could be very likely because those are where the good players are. I think primarily NFL trends are play teams end up, whether they like it or not, using the best players mo- the majority of the time. And if most of the best players coming out are lower ADOT or smaller players, that's just what the trend looks like rather than the NFL deciding it. But either way, so if Mims being a big guy is one of the best players this year, it doesn't matter the NFL is wanting to use smaller guys who play lower a dot doesn't matter because that's where the good player is is what i'm trying to say there but um yeah and, and so what i see is like i i want to think the upside is at wide receiver in this class especially where i think very highly of the running backs that you were just talking about um and the, and the ones i mentioned as well and don't think they're just going to disappear but the most consistent trend we have over fantasy at all is that you do want the running backs as rookies wide receivers do take longer and are less likely to break out at all uh, let alone in their first year or their second year so i'm having a hard time believing that the upside is at wide receiver but i do prefer all the wide receivers because we so rarely get a class this stopped at right. wide receiver whereas running 
feedback it has, happens a lot more, more often. So um, it's interesting that you think that the production of Ringback might be a little more muted. That gives me hope um, in, in general. Do you think the NFL trends continue like we do see? Like one of the things I've been uh, I've been suggesting is that one of the difference of wide receiver last year wasn't decreased volume. We've seen that consistently since 2014. But it's that there was a lack of differentiation between production in the top 12 wide receivers or even the top 24, although it gets a little muted there. And essentially, uh, I guess the primary metric you could use is like VORP, value over replacement. Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams were the only two that had significant points over another wide receiver that you could have in the same range. Whereas normally we get, you know, five or six. Um, do you think that production last year was because of NFL trends or do you think it's going to uh, change again in 2020 and they're going to be more valuable wide receivers above the field? And where is your head at in general wide receiver in the NFL? I think we want to always be conscious of potential trends mm. in the NFL, but I'm not positive that we're there yet at receiver in terms of like the flattening of production. Uh, Jack Miller wrote, a bunch, wrote about this at Rotoviz. Okay. And uh, Jack's great. I don't know. Like, you know, if you're not following Jack and you're listening to this, make sure you change that. But <laughs> Good if, you just, if you just look at, he looked at a bunch of stuff with like win rate and things like that. But the, the receivers generally have still produced. Um, but I think last year, I think last year was just a really bad year. I, I can't really, I'm trying to think of a way to, I guess, eloquently state Yeah, that, I, was, I, I know the struggle, man, but flattening was the word. You used it, and I was trying to think of it, where production was flattened outside of basically Michael Thomas. And I just right. don't, I, I think that's fairly obviously going to, so wide receivers probably are, if that happens, that, that flattening unflattens, re- edges re i don't know i was trying to come up with a joke that didn't, didn't quite get there but um then wide receivers are going to be going at a value because we're at a running back craze in general oh it's insane and that, that wide makes receivers... me feel even better that yeah exactly even better about it because it's like there's so much more room for error because i think we could be wrong we could be wrong about the direction of league trends and maybe wide receiver production is flattening but you're still giving me like a, a, a top 10 receiver over I'm still going to take a top 10 receiver over like running back 25. And that's kind of the value proposition I'm getting right now. So I'm in on that. Yeah. And that goes with, you know, running backs draft drafted as, you know, top 24 running backs hit at a miss at a higher rate as well. Something I did back, back a year or two ago with DLF ADP was look at where we miss the most and we reach on running back for obvious reasons, but I think we reach, on running backs that clearly have lower ceilings than we are reaching for, if you know what I mean. A top 12 season tends to be very visible. But anyway, that's kind of boring and old. If Jack's already cracked it, we'll just go read Jack. It's fine. Um, something did come up when I was talking to Tyler Gunther from um, the DHH crew, uh, Dynasty Happy Hour, that's it. While they do produce later, I think they tell us their ceilings a little more early than we think. Like, um, no, that's what it was. It wasn't DHH. I was talking on the open bar, and we were trying to guess who could potentially be the wide receiver one overall in 2020. And something that occurred to me, and I haven't quite tested it, but like, I can't remember a lot of instances of wide receivers suddenly having that ceiling unless it was like Antonio Brown 
and he took longer to get there because he was, you know, a sixth round pick. So like Michael Thomas got into that range remarkably quickly. DeAndre Hopkins took a little longer, but he still got into that range. You know, if you're, if you're hoping a year three player is suddenly going to show, you know, top one, top five, top 12 potential. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that happens as often. And who right. I was talking about was like Tyler Boyd. And these are guys I was big fans of based on the production we were just talking about. Tyler Boyd, Kenny Galladay, I really stumped for them. I think they're great. But like, I think they've been in the league a while. We've learned kind of what they are and how good they are. And I'm not seeing that level of top 12. Like Kenny Galladay is projected in the top 12, even by me. There's just a lack of production to go around at a certain point. So I think he can get there. But like, he really hasn't shown the le- that level of ceiling. Like Julio Jones was basically a top 12 wide receiver by year two. And AJ Green was, Calvin Johnson was. Mike Evans showed that kind of ceiling by year two. Um, DJ Moore's looking a little slower, but he's shown a top 24 ceiling, and I think that would be fair. I do think there's more there in the DeAndre Hopkins vein, but now I'm just kind of narrativizing at you. But do you see what I'm trying to say? Like having that ultimate upside at wide receiver isn't something that if we've seen a player for a significant volume, um, when they're not learning the position as a rookie, like Kenny Galladay, like he just doesn't look like that top tier player to me, amazing player. But do you think there's anything to that? (laughs) I guess with this broad thought, but we were just discussing it on the open bar and I was like, you know, Kenny Galladay just doesn't remind me of DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones and the vast variety that come in that range. Like we didn't see them with 30, 40%, well, 20, 20 to 30% target shares for two years and not recognize or not see that level of potential very often. Right. Well, f- first of all, I have, I have Boyd at receiver 19 and Kenny Galladay at receiver 20. So I guess I agree on that. Okay. Um, but the, the guys, the guys that, that I think you're looking at would be um, Godwin because he did it last year. Juju, I think, is still on that track because I think he would have gotten there last year. But he'd been a top 12 wide receiver, to be fair. Yeah. Right. And he's already, right. He's already kind of shown you, he's shown you the top 12 ceiling. Now we want to see the wide receiver one overall ceiling, you know? But I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to just assume that the number of players who can do stuff like that is, is very small, right? Like guys of, right. guys like Julio and Antonio Brown and, you know, now Michael Thomas. No, those guys are just rare players. They're excellent players. They're top 0.01% in a league that's already of top one percenters, you know? So I don't think that we need to ask for crazy things from these guys, but I do think that you're right in saying that like, if they're going to do it, they'll probably get there. And if they don't quickly, there is probably some kind of obvious obstruction. Like I think in the case of Hopkins, he was playing with another top five receiver in Andre Johnson right. when his career started. So like, it's obvious to see where that wasn't coming from and how that could just be fixed by volume. And I think that you could say the same thing about someone like, I mean, you, you honestly probably could say something similar about Boyd just because he's played with green, but I think probably his play style would limit you to, to like a certain level. But that, that I mean, that's semantics. I'm not trying to get into too crazy of a, thing but no but but, you know i agree with you it matters yeah 
We've seen Galladay and Boyd play with significant volume, having developed into the role and gained the tr- team's trust and be really good and not seeing that level of right. domination and targets that Boyd would need, even with AJ Green being injured. And, we're, and we've not seen, I guess, Galladay would need a higher level of touchdowns efficiency, I guess, than he's shown before because he's done most of the other stuff. Um, he's just not Calvin Johnson. He's mini Calvin Johnson, you know. Um, yeah, right. Baby Tron, mini Tron, they both work. Um, <laughs> but two players that you met, well, two players that occurred to me with that I have conflicting thoughts on one Godwin, again, a player I loved as a prospect. But last year, I was really nervous about um, the projection of him into the top 12. And I think it was, I've forgotten his name as well. Damn, that's the third time I've lost my train of thought. Um, but he's not someone prone to hot takes. And he really said, look, this is a serious thing that can happen. And that made me sit up and think twice. Um, and it did. But he did it with such level, such insane efficiency, which he needs to, to your point. Um, and, you know, with Mike Evans on the team, that's pretty much the only way he could do it. That it's hard to see it continuing with that level of efficiency in order to get there again. But it's hard to bet against Chris Godwin, having done so much so young. And then there's AJ Brown, who hasn't shown a top 12 ceiling, but showed a phenomenally efficient top 24 season with low volume. Right. Um, and when you break it down into career year, in the NFL at least, it is significant that AJ Brown was able to do it year one. Pretty much you always want those players. They rarely you know, turn out to be bad or not, you know, the ultimate dynasty wide receiver asset, if they're able to do really well in year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really good group to be in. So, and but AJ Brown projects badly for me, in my mind at least, um, into 2020, because you're talking about hyper-efficiency on a low-passing offense that didn't exactly improve in the offseason, as far as I know. So that that's, that's all worse. <laughs> right. So... What do you think about those two players? Because efficiency can be a nasty monster, and I don't get it right a lot. <laughs> well, I'm I'm with you on AJ Brown. He projects pretty low for me, and I I feel like I've kind of made. I feel like I've made a pretty honest effort here to right. to be to be fair. You know, like I wasn't going to give him the efficiency that he had last year, but I tried to normalize him so that he looked like other really highly efficient players. In other mm-hmm. words, like other highly efficient rookies what did they look like in year two and it's not terrible you know like they don't regress to being average they regress to being still excellent just not otherworldly i just i just really struggle to find the pass volume now the the thing that this is where like i think making projections is super valuable because we know why aj brown is not a top 12 receiver right we know that it's because of pass volume so then we're really considering and this is where i think projections versus rankings versus draft strategy you have to really kind of be conscious of all this because if we know that what is keeping aj brown back is pass volume then what we really should be considering is well what what are the things that would have to happen to give him the requisite pass volume and how likely is it that any of those things occur so you know Corey davis could go on vacation (laughs) <laughs> or uh, Derek Henry could quit football, or um... well, the team just being in worse game scripts, right? Like I, I think that they obviously ran exceptionally hot at the end of the year. I'll pull up the game logs, 
But like when Derrick Henry was going nuts, like part of the reason he was going nuts and, and part of the reason that the team overall was doing really well was because they were just leading in all these games, right? Like they, they were not playing from a position of disadvantage that would have needed them to throw. Um, and sure enough, if you look like they won, like their last few games were looking, you know, 35-14 win, 21-24 close loss. 42-21, win. 31-17, win. 42-20, win. So they're in all these, you know, either very, very positive or neutral game scripts. And that allows their coaching staff to just lean on Derrick Henry, which is something that they obviously want to do. But if all of a sudden these game scripts flip and they're playing from behind more, or maybe Derrick Henry does get hurt, well, now I think we're just going to see this. Then we're going to see that uptick in passing. So I don't know how likely that is. You know, maybe you think it's 20%, maybe it's 40%. I don't know. But how you're handicapping that, I think probably should impact where you're drafting Brown. Now, there's a huge group of people that are just like, he is a top 10 receiver. I do not care. That group of people is leaving themselves just as exposed to being wrong as, as we would be to just be saying he's outside the top 20. I don't care. If you want to be conscious kind of a both, reality is he probably belongs somewhere in the teens if we're drafting, but there's, there's a path that we can see for a guy like him. So I think it's fair to, to, to like him, you know, there's a path for a guy like Terry McLaurin. I think the same way, like McLaurin was excellent last year. All you really want is for Dwayne Haskins to go from, to go and, and progress a little bit. And you want the team to pass more, which I think can happen. I am actually projecting them to throw a bunch. So like I have McLaurin pretty high, my wide receiver 14 right now, but like, the fact that he was so good as a rookie, I think like gives you a little more confidence to draft like those kind of guys versus the players. Yeah, it's, like... it's, a, it's a dynasty move. It's, you know, right. this group of players just consistently, they're the ones that you want. And so even, and I kind of respect it because I hate, I appreciate what you're saying. Like I believe in everything that you're saying, but I think I take a, a sidestep from it because I think we're terrible at reading situations it's like the pass volume you were mentioning like yeah i can see that's a way they could throw more i can't say that's a way that teams always throw more like sometimes you just bad and you throw less sometimes teams maintain extreme efficiency because they have russell wilson okay well just in that one instance (laughs) so um even when we're making reasonable median projections we're and looking for volume, we're still trying to implement volume in ways that it might not happen. Whereas player consistently, one thing I, I found really interesting, and I can't imagine how I would build it or steal it, but I want to, is um, while well, you even did a like a comparison sheet, how players vary year to year uh, in terms of the career year they're entering and what people in a similar situation did in the past, right? Right, and you've yeah. got that incorporated into your projections, and that sounds phenomenally interesting to me. And so I'm pretty inter- I'm pretty excited that you were able to bring that up when you were talking about projections. And um, do you find that to be true that going through the player you find, or, or do you think that's a decent way of doing it? I guess is the question. Players who were this good at this career year typically see this amount of change into their second year. Uh, I guess we'll find out, right? I mean, it's my, <laughs> okay. first, it's my first time kind of doing it. But yeah, I mean, pretty much what I built was like a spreadsheet that would function as a tool to take what a player did in 
based on like their age, their weight, their production, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, volume, and then just say, okay, what are the players that are most similar to these guys? And what did they do in the next year? And that just kind of creates like a simple projection. So like a guy like AJ Brown, his top comparisons from last year would be Chris Godwin, Marquez Colston, Juju, Jordan Matthews, Riley Cooper. Those guys aren't great. Josh Gordon, Des Bryant. So like you're hearing a lot of good names, you know, you're hearing a lot of big names. And if you look at like the year over year percent change in production, you're seeing some really big numbers. I mean, you're seeing three guys who increased their point production by over 50%. I mean, those numbers are huge. So you can kind of see the reason I like doing this is because it kind of helps me to see the range of outcomes for a player, as opposed to just looking at the single median projection. And I think that that has value. Did anyone stick out to you from that way of looking at it, either high or low, like higher than you expected or lower than you expected? Uh, well, I thought Brown was one of them because I was pretty quick to just be like, yeah, this is just probably isn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> right. So that that was one of them. I can't – I'm kind of struggling off the top of my head. I mean, DJ Moore was another one that popped on, like, the high end. Yeah, that's only really the type of question someone can ask if they, you know, do the do the work to actually send you questions and plan ahead beforehand. They can't really drop, hey, uh, <laughs> just drop a specific answer here if you could just <laughs> offer – multi cell multi million cell spreadsheet just just summarize that for me off the top of your head <laughs> um no that's fair um i would ask you seem to have a really interesting top 12 because my projections have a lot of you know well what we're just talking about i don't see it for aj brown i don't see it for kenny Galladay, but player situation career yeah i don't want to bet against them and they tend to fly they fly a little higher than my my own standard feelings do that and, and you know it's kind of a team effort but um like your top 12 seems really interesting where you're not encumbered with those kind of biases i guess so like do you have anyone off the top of your head other than lavisca chanel because we've already proven he's bad obviously uh that's what that's what we decided right um but that stuck out to you like hey he's he's a really interesting player and i'm trying to avoid using words like sleeper and breakout because then we have to define those but just someone you're really interested this year after you ran your projections any position you like he says waffling knowing that this is again a question you can't just drop on someone and they probably need time to think about it maybe process thanks for the lack of uh you know pod sheet uh so i'd know so i would know this would come up at some point and prepare an answer but yeah <laughs> that's probably all the waffle i've got do you mean as as a prospect or like for 2020 specifically? for 2020 specifically i'm thinking i mean the season's getting pretty close hopefully um so yeah we're kind of in that mode now Who who's the guy that we're all going to be saying i knew it was going to happen <laughs> about <laughs> in a year so, like, there's the group of guys that I think are really popular. Like, obviously, people love, you know, DJ Moore. Like, I, I love McLaurin. Like I said, I have him at 14. Marvin Jones, again, projects decently for me. I still like Steph Diggs. I think people are kind of getting out on Steph Diggs. Uh, I could still see the Christian Kirk. I, maybe Kirk is, like, the first guy that kind of pops up. Like, I could still see Kirk making it into, like, the top 30, despite the addition of Hopkins. Like, I just think he – I think he's progressing well as a player – 
definitely year that... over year he's beaten the career average in volume some something rich harbour again slammed me for on twitter was that well, the phrase he used that triggered me no end was more replaceable. And it's like, top 24 production isn't replaceable. But, you know, he was right in that where Kirk operates isn't isn't the most valuable area of the field for fantasy. You want a slightly higher dot. That's why his target share hasn't led to a top 24 season yet. And he hasn't had a lot of touchdowns. But I do really like Kirk. Like, he was uber productive in college. He's been really productive in a volume sense in the NFL. And... Like, who is your top 12 wide receivers? Because if you don't have A.J. Brown or Golladay in there, there's at least two names that I think might be, you know, good to say. Right now, it's uh, Michael Thomas. Uh, But this is, I mean, it just gets crazy for me right away because I have Cooper Cup and Juju in the top 12. Oh, I love that name. That's a name. Frankly, believe it or not, no no one thinks that's going to, a lot of people don't think that's going to happen again. But I'm definitely, definitely, on that page i've got uh i think he's in my top 12 too and i just drafted him in the scott fishbowl just to circle back around to that ha. i know i just <laughs> missed him in mine i'm so mad um i was but... triggered because alan robinson got taken uh between my two picks and i was very upset <laughs> <laughs> uh but i have bob woods up there too uh i have ridley in my top 12 you really have like robert ridley. woods in your top 12 wow that's one of them yeah like... i just well so for me like I'm kind of just like in on the Rams, I guess, because That's right. they throw, uh, they lost <laughs> one of their main targets. That's nice. You know, I, I just think that like I'm not out on McVay yet. <laughs> it's really easy to do the recency bias thing to me where it's like, Oh, like they really struggled for like 10 weeks last year. Like maybe this McVay guy is overrated. And maybe is, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, but... I think that's a, that, that's an incredibly good point. It's one of those really easy things to understand and then see that narrative bias has definitely gotten in there because McVay came in hot and heavy because no one knew what he was. It lessens in year two, but they were still, you know, he was doing some really interesting things and the people on his team were productive. Year three, we shouldn't expect it to get worse. We should expect to find some sort of middle ground. The trouble I have with the wide receivers is I have a hard time separating them out because they play at different times, have been injured at different times. When they're on the same team, they're still like not that many players are meant to have that much of the target share at any one time. That doesn't happen a lot. And so you definitely have three good players here. And I really understand the argument for Robert Woods, but I'm like, both Woods and Kerp don't need but they use volume to be that efficient and that productive and again like you say the rams have shown a, a predilection and ability to do that for them but i don't know i have a hard time separating them out because of the way their seasons have played out so i don't disagree with it but i do think it's a really kind of interesting not hot but very reasonable good name to know yeah, I, I, I think I think the other thing too is that like, you're just like, yeah. Well, yeah. no, like, I mean, I if talk for 10 happens, minutes and you're like, dude, yeah, yeah, okay. If something happens you're right. to one of those guys, if something happens to one of those guys, the other one's going to get jacked up too. So that's the other thing is that, like, you know, if right. maybe, maybe Cup does get hurt. Well, like, Robert Woods is, if we're, if I'm kind of already projecting him in the top 12, like, well, then we're talking about like a real ceiling there. So, um, because again, like they don't have, it's not like Brandon Cooks is there to take more targets. Like they just have him. Um, but yeah, and I really. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say I think that's kind of what's happened to them so far, and you know, it, it, there's an intricate balance, and it's team specific and player specific, and I really have no idea how to pass it off the top of my head in every instance. But 
like the team gets worse when they lose a player. So that's not good for, you know, anyone. Um, but I do see what you're saying. Like Woods could hit a higher ceiling without um, Cup around if he got injured. But at the same time, the team's worse. And I think we've seen some of that with the way they see the, the Rams have played out. Like we, we've been most excited when they're all available because when they're all available, the team is able to just create that much more opportunity because they're all good players. So I don't know. I kind of like Woods in the top 12 with Cup more, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like again, like to me, it's just about the volume and where it goes. And I think that even if they use the tight ends more, they those are still very clearly their top two receivers. So it's kind of my projections are kind of interesting this year because I, I feel like I have so many duos, you know, like I have, uh, the Rams guys, I have both of the Falcons guys in the top 12. I really like the Dallas players, so I don't have them all in the top 12, obviously, but I think they're all in the top 36 or so. I still think Gallup and, and Lamb are excellent and will receive volume. Um, so, like, there's a lot of good teams. Like, there's a lot of a lot of teams that have kind of, like, you know, obviously have Evans and Godwin, uh, Galladay and Marvin. So, there, there's teams that have just kind of, like, amassed receiver talent. And uh, right. I think that's that's kind of fun. Very much so. Sorry, I was checking on my Scott Fishball draft. Um, but no, Robert Woods is one, and I'm not going to ask you to keep running down the list till I get excited about the name. But I do think that's uh, really interesting because your projections do seem really balanced. I love the process that you've got going on, and um, you've also put out a a Google Sheet, which I love because it's simple and we can all use it, and that's why I love Google Sheets. Um, where people can play around with their own projections. I, I recently retweeted that again. Um, or you know, DM me or Anthony or tag us on Twitter, and I'm sure he's happy to share it again. Um, but it's really interesting. And like he says, doing projections might not tell you who's going to be best, but it is really interesting to see what has to happen for a player to hit a certain range of production. Like uh, we were saying earlier with um, um, AJ Brown needing more pass attempts because you have to assume lower efficiency. And that just gives you a good idea of what has to happen and how you can or should or what the median is for player expectations. So it's a really interesting sheet to work with. I did, I mentioned that because I, I was desperately trying to put like a projections model out for people to play with like that. But just to point this out, it's really hard, especially to maintain it. So I don't know how you're doing it, Anthony. Frankly, I've looked over that entire thing and I'm like, I have no idea how you're maintaining that for the public, <laughs> like for other people to use. It's pretty impressive, dude. Uh, thanks, man. I mean, I, it's just, it's the, it's the exact template that I use. So it's, uh, you know, I'm just kind of updating it every year and uh, it works for me. I mean, I don't think, I'm sure that there are better ways of doing it. But again, we kind of talk about like the value of time. And for me, yes. <laughs> I'm able to kind of, you know, I take a couple of weeks and I can kind of project every team and then it just updates as things go. Like to me that that's, to me, that's easy. And I, you know, there's, I think there's like a certain level of automation that almost creates like a, a you're at, it's like to your detriment because putting in like doing the inputs yourself and researching what goes into those inputs I think is, is valuable to you because again, like the more that you know about what is driving the projection, the more you know about how to best use that projection. So 
yeah, I'll, I'll probably do this until someone tells me that I shouldn't and gives me a better way. Know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, unfortunately, the secret to the value of projections is actually doing all the boring, mundane work yourself. Right. <laughs> you right. have to look over all the target right. shares. And then next time someone asks you or you have to think about him, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember those boring numbers. But it is still fun to play with. And we recommend at least trying to get involved in it. Uh, don't be prepared to be thrilled and excited. Projections are definition of a grind. But it is nice to have a little, uh, at least a base set out by Anthony there. And again, it's not, it's not really easy to do, or I haven't found it easy to do, which isn't saying much, to be honest. But I think it does. Um, yeah. Sorry, Anthony, I'm feeling really off my game. And it's not the daylight thing or the fact that my back's hurting. I just feel off my game. I guess I've been thinking about Scott Fishball too much. There's and then I missed is. you. And uh... Dude, don't worry about it. I think I mean, this is a great show. I'm having fun. so I'm, I'm you, you're, you're sounding great. I'm coming off a, across as a waffling idiot who can't think of any good <laughs> questions to ask a really smart person that came on his show. And I hate it. But, I mean, that's part of the course. So I think we're fine. <laughs> Everyone will be expecting it. But I'm always disappointed with myself, especially when it happens, because seriously, um, great answers to really bad questions so far. Um, yeah, I'm going to ask you about other stuff I don't know what to do with. That's, that's my plan here. Um, speaking of 2020 rookies and rolling everything into one, um, Joe Burrow, especially my lack of quarterback evaluation and Tyler Boyd and AJ Green coming back and probably being the wide receiver you want from that team. Like, I don't know what to do with Joe Burrow because everyone's really hopeful he has a really strong first year. And like, I don't know what to do with that. Like the rookie QBs actually come out and produce well. I, I don't even know. They have or what more do you recently. think of Joe Burrow? I think they, they have more recently. Yeah. Well, because like Kyler, uh, you know, well, I, I guess there hasn't. Josh Allen even actually as a rookie was productive. I mean, because he ran. You know, like I think you want the rushing. So how much will Burrow run? I think is an interesting question. I'm not sure how much he will. He was like a a good runner and a, and a productive runner in college. Not like in the sense that you necessarily want to design runs for him at the NFL level, but you feel like if he kind of is scrambling around, like you know, he could maybe make some things happen. So that's good. Um, but I, I also just think that like the Zach Taylor offense is one that would aim to be pass heavy. That's kind of just what he's done over his career as a coordinator. That's what he's done so far in Cincy. So we'll see how much of that holds going forward. I think it's reassuring to know that those things kind of happen regardless of the game script for him. I'd have to, I think I'd probably have to pull it up, but I do have, I do have like a, something that I'm working on with Derek Brown at uh, Faith and Noise is we're doing kind of like these coaching breakdowns for every team and just going through their tendencies. I mean, we're trying to keep it, we try to keep it big picture just because we know so much of these, this stuff can kind of be dependent on the, like the players that you employ, right? Like the talent kind of begets the uh, approach. Mm -hmm. But, but if you look at, you know, Zach Taylor in the first three quarters of games, he, uh, and I, and I usually look at like first three quarters just as an easy way to kind of take out like huge catch up mode situations, stuff like that. But, you know, he is passing well above the league average in close games. Hmm. 
Uh, and he did that, you know, last year with Cincy, but he also did that in 2015 with Miami where he stepped in as an offensive coordinator. So I, um, you know, I think that, I think that the main reasons that you like Burrow is just the weapons are kind of there. We're not hundred percent sure we'll get out of AJ green, but I, but I think that aside from that, the, the volume actually should be there. Especially since I, I don't think the Bengals are all of a sudden going to become an eight-win team. Like they're probably still a five or six-win team. So, okay. yeah. So I, I I do like Burrow. I don't think I like him as much as other people do. He still is QB nineteen in my projections. And if you take out, you know, maybe one or two of the guys that I have above him that won't probably play all the games, like you know, he's like a mid QB two. And I think that that's that's probably fair. I'm not really ready to go. That's QB very one. reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not ready to go QB one. Like I've seen some people do, but I definitely understand what could be driving that. Can I ask you about coaching? Cause I have noticed like broadly speaking, I've heard you talk about coaching and the relationship to players and how important it is on across a variety of topics. So it's not like you can summarize it, everything that you can add here, but it's a uniquely valuable uh, insight that you have to football that obviously me and most of the Jamokes out here talking about it don't have. Like, I'm specifically interested in the relationship between quarterbacks, coaches, um, and targets. Now, obviously, there's a lot there, but my general assumption is targets mostly flow to where the talent is, which is probably something you're very bored of hearing me say on Twitter. Um, but I was wondering if you had anything like from the perspective as a coach, but I didn't even know if you really wanted, because you mostly do very detailed analysis outside of your day job, as it was outside of the insight your day job goes. So if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. We'll talk about it through that prism. Um, but I kind of wanted to see if I could ask you about it. No, yeah, that's fine. We'll talk about anything, man. Okay. I, uh, I was just checking. For, I didn't for know me. if you wanted to be, you, you very rarely openly publicize, hey guys, I literally know what this is like at a certain level. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> like, would be the way I would be like, I'm a coach. You know what the fuck you're talking about. Would probably be my and most people's attitude, but you're not. So I didn't know if you were like, if it was just a separate thing and you're just like Zach Reed's an engineer who can do more math than I can literally name and likes tape. So he doesn't want to talk about math. He wants to talk about playing through a different lens. And I thought it might be that kind of thing. But anyway, yeah. Um, also some waffle to fill in the time there. Is there anything to like add from that perspective? Not You can add from any perspective because it's really unique insight, like I say. But um, like the only question I can think based on the things that I'm interested in, <laughs> the, the little I know about coaching is, the relationship between here are your reads and then who gets targeted. How much influence do you think coaching has on that? I guess. Well, so I think that something that you'll see is like good coaches are just going to base what they do around the players that they have. Right. Like, like all right. these guys have schemes, right? Like they have playbooks, they have like, these are the 50 plays we want to run over the course of a season or something like that, whatever it is. But how they structure those game plans and how they structure things like year to year or game to game, a lot of that's going to be based on the players. So, you know, okay. I, I try Good. not to get, yeah, <laughs> I, I think, and I, actually the exceptions to those rules are usually the bad coaches, you know, like mm. the guys who, the guys who let you down are usually the bad coaches. You know, like you're not going to see Andy Reid all of a sudden dial up 
15 targets for Sammy Watkins and, you know, six <laughs> targets for Tyreek Hill. Like, it's just not going to happen. But, but, but the other part of that, too, is that, like, I mean, good players are just more likely to get open. That's why good players get the ball, right? Like, if you have a progression, even if your first read is – even if your first read is Sammy Watkins, like, because he's not as good, there's just a really good chance that he's not open – and then you move on to the next progression. You're like, oh, well, this guy's open. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I try not to get too focused, too wrapped up in the coaching thing, just because I, I think that it, I, I think it is more likely to add noise than anything else when it comes to, especially targets. The things that I'm looking at when it comes from coaching is I'm looking for like things like early down pass rate, like how likely are they to throw the ball, you know, personnel usage, things that, things that, would maybe be just driven by their own personal interesting. preference. So coaching might have more influence on situational attempt where you rush, whether you pass kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, so it's funny. So like Sark, Steve Sarkeesian, when he was with Atlanta, like this guy was a, just a butcher dude. Like he was terrible, <laughs> but, 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 what, but what made him really bad wasn't like what he was doing minutes one through 58 it wasn't in what he was doing in like a random first and 10. Like mm. the Falcons were really good. They were really productive. We loved Julio Jones. We loved uh, probably, I think at the time, probably Roddy White was still there. Like these guys were super productive. The issue with a guy like Sark would be in on like fourth and two against the Patriots. He's like running an end around to Taylor Gabriel instead of giving the ball to his best player. You know, like those situational things, but situational football only makes up like what, like two percent of a player's overall production for us in fantasy so like <laughs> the stuff that matters the stuff that matters to make your great coach isn't going to matter that much in fantasy because such a large amount of the production is going to happen regardless of it's steve sarkeesian you know sean mcveigh anthony amico peter howard like it doesn't matter who's calling the plays like the ball is getting to the right players somehow I think it would be significant worse if it was Peter Howard, but <laughs> you know, um, I do really appreciate you running through that for a second because these are these are things I guess at. Like I, I think people think I know a thing or two, and I don't. I'm guessing based on the patterns that I find that like coaches aren't really deciding who gets targeted, and good coaches focus good players that's what that's a definition of a good coach you use players in a way that is that they can perform to their best of their abilities but like it's just a guess like i don't i don't talk to players <laughs> i don't run games i don't game script i don't know how to draw a route out i mean even when i talk to people that prospect money through tape it's like is that what you're seeing because <laughs> i don't like i i'm guessing like players are more open, like you said, that sometimes good players are just, well, good players are going to be open more often, so they get more targets. But that's kind of just a guess from my wheelhouse. It's like, that seems to be how it works. So I talk to someone who watches tape and they're like, yeah, Sammy Watkins just isn't really as open as Tyreek Hill most of the time. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and it's nice to hear it from the coaching side as well. It's like, you know, if I'm doing my job, I'm going to let a quarterback focus who is actually getting open rather than maybe trying to force the issue. And I hadn't really thought a lot about situational football. Um, but it is interesting because mm, can't go there. Cause I said it, it probably isn't going to be fruitful and it's too long, but it's interesting to think about dividing up production 
based on situations. It, it gets way too voluminous for my little spreadsheets, to be honest with you. But like um, Josh Holmesmeyer recently suggested, basically, I guess, bucketing or binning and averaging target depths for different players based on their break, their distribution of targets rather than just their ADOT. And it would be a similar thing through coaching. Looking at passing attempts through the coaching lens would probably be better if you judge like how often does a coach pass or run or throw on first down. But there you've got a sample problem. And also, like you were saying, I'm going to steal your juice for the squeeze metaphor constantly from now on, by the way, because it's so useful. But like whether that's actually useful to do, put in all the work and then find if it actually projects better, I don't know. But it is, I think it's an important point. And I hadn't really thought about it before that you should layer that on for yourself afterwards. Like you can look at a medium projection and then go, yeah, but it's Adam Gase. So <laughs> we're probably going to get... We'll just the... look at the bottom 20% of the range right. of outcomes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so how much do I pull all this down, right? <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, something uh, that kind of something. made, something that I thought made my projections better right away was, and this is just like one split that I'm sure still has some issues with it. But like, I just try to look at like, pass rate and wins versus pass rate and losses. And then just kind of relating that back to the Vegas win total, because, you know, we, we've kind of, I think we kind of make this mistake every year. Like we just assume that the team that, you know, won 13 games and ran the ball a ton is going to run the ball a ton the next year, but it turns out they're maybe only a 500 team. So like by doing that, I, I feel like I've just been a lot more accurate in terms of figuring out team play team plays and team play rate, like, you know, where the passes are, where the runs are. And that's just one split. Like that doesn't require a lot of work. Like you, there's just like, you just pop on, you know, fade the noise for instance, has a, has <laughs> right, a right. Flip tool. Like you just change right. the sliders wins and losses and you record the information and then you prorate that out to the wins and you have like a pretty good idea of what you're going to look at, you know, and that's, that's, something that doesn't take long but it becomes pretty valuable rather than just kind of guessing and that like i think when i first started doing projections i was kind of guessing because i would just look at uh like total play counts right by year like i would look at okay this is how many plays andy reed has run the last 10 years instead of looking at well this is how many plays he's run in wins and how often he's passed in those games and this is how it's been in losses and this is how many games i think the chiefs might win this year and this is how many games Vegas thinks the Chiefs will win this year. And that's reasonably accurate. So, like, you're just kind of, like, doing small things that I think can add some project, uh, predictability rather than going into, like, this huge, hugely granular situation of, you know, yeah, like, breaking down every scenario and kind of doing that. Because that then you're just – first of all, you'll be sick and tired of it by the time you're done. <laughs> but uh, also, you're just going to be adding too much, probably. Unfortunately, most of the answers are, yeah, there's no quick route. And where I spend so long basically trying to figure out what we can apply broadly and then breaking down how we can not apply very much broadly, but we can kind of do this in these situations. I spend a lot of my time pulling apart these individual situation layering of story on top. There's the narrative bias, because normally we guess wrong, right? even the most educated, well-applied guess about trends and passing attempts and how much they're going to win and lose. And so it's kind of easy to do. And that's kind of uh, disingenuous for me. But I normally try and enact it when it's being applied badly. And the difficult part here is 
Like, seriously, Anthony, I thought I was going to be seeing on you on the NFL Network about three years ago. I wanted to bring that up. Like, what the, <laughs> the hell is going on with you, man? Like, we've got, a, we've got a, a, a coach who knows numbers literally better or as well as anyone else doing this. And you've only just been signed by Fade the Noise. That's, 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 that's insane. But um, you're applying it well, and it gets really difficult to pull apart when it's applied well. But the problem is, like you're saying, it's a lot of... There's no quick way to apply this stuff and you have to understand the context. And unfortunately that's not something you can like, here you go. You can just know this. You can just see these things and it takes a lot of work. So I really appreciate that you go through that process. Interesting enough, Michael Zingoni talking about Vegas win totals. He does something really interesting with projections where he takes the win totals and uses that to extrapolate rushing and passing based on team and coaching history. So like you were saying, like if they're going to lose four games, it's going to be more. And how much do they rush or pass in those games and then apply that to the next season? And, and that's all, that is something you can apply broadly. But when you're talking about splits, which is one of the things I normally find myself playing a part, it has to be applied really well on an individual basis. And that's something someone like you can provide with this, you know, gigantic feet in both worlds and common sense view. And I really appreciate it. And I can't replicate it. That's what's, that's what really annoys me because normally I, I just replicate the stuff the smart people go, do and then people like me for it. And I can't, <laughs> I can't replicate what you do, man. It's just too good. I really appreciate it, man. Um, kind of getting towards, I, I'm trying to get you a wrap up just in case you do want to bail because we're at like nearly at the two hour mark. So um, I did want to mention all that stuff before we got out of here and really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Like that blows me away. Some of the people that I've been you know, following and listening to forever, occasionally get to have a conversation with, and you're definitely one of those men. So I appreciate it. Oh, dude, it means a lot. I mean, I, uh, like I said, at the top of the show, like I, I like this is really cool for me. Like, I know, <laughs> like you keep saying like how cool it is to have me on. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like I'm on your show, dude. Like, this is great for me. Like, oh, I, come on, you know, we've had so many interactions on Twitter and I think, uh, you know, being able to just kind of talk about some of this stuff is, is a lot of fun. And I, I really respect your process on a lot of things. So it's, uh, it goes both ways for sure. Yeah. I hate it. Cause we disagree, but I can't pull your shit apart. Like I would pull other people's <laughs> like I try cause it's too, like, ah, uh, now I just got to respect it. Um, but yeah, man, um, I, I really figured you'd be a professional in the NFL or some sort of network by now. So never even thought of asking you until, until it happened. So just blown away. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come and talk to me. And it was so much time, by the way, um, just in case anyone's still listening, got to respect Anthony for holding in there with me. Like everyone somehow seems to do. Um, appreciate it, dude. And uh, thanks to everyone else for listening. And I will see you again next week. Episodes usually drop on Saturday. Um, it's been Sunday the last few weeks. You mentioned it earlier. I forgot to tell you. Um, but that's because I've been working a lot of nights. And with the Scott Fishball, frankly, I've been behind schedule. But um, yeah, it, it will drop this weekend. I'm trying to keep up a regular schedule. Oh, better end the podcast here. Um, something like uh, it was Scott Fish, actually. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that.
Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the place though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the place though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical